Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hindley. Episode 65, Character Design, Caricature, and Embracing a Creative Mindset with Stephen Silver. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me again on the podcast. I wanted to first reach out and thank all of you who sent messages and comments based on episode 64. On that episode, I kind of reflected on some of the challenges that I've been facing, some of the, (laughs) just as an artist, trying to get past certain things, and I shared openly some of the, um, my thoughts, and I wanted to say thank you for reaching out. Some people wanted to just say that it's it's all going to be okay, and I know that, <laughs> but I wanted to share it openly because uh, so many others had said they needed to hear that podcast. They needed to hear those words, and I wanted to thank you for reaching out and, and telling me it was okay and, and that it meant something to you and it's helped you to get through the week, so I appreciate that. And so this week, we're back with another interview, but before that, I'm just going to go through some some of the items that have happened the last couple of weeks. So uh, as many of you know, through my Instagram and my blog, as well as uh, the podcast, I have been working with Mushroom Inc. So I finished a larger piece, which uh, I think went relatively well. Uh, Once again, all done with Mushroom Inc. So it is a mushroom growing out of a log, and in behind there's some um, forest kind of rubbish on the ground trees and or branches and leaves and there's also a mouse that I embedded in there as well. So it was kind of fun playing just with one material through all of that. I got kind of carried away with the forest floor because I wanted the mushroom to stand out so I decided I need something darker behind it and one thing led to another and I've got a forest floor. So I think I'm going to do probably two or three more mushroom studies and then I'm going to actually sell these as originals. I've never done that before beyond doing commissions. And so this is, uh, it's hard for me to part with my art, but I'm going to do it with these. I am uh, going to put them up in my shop. So if you follow my newsletter, the next edition comes out this week, uh, latter part of this week. And I will probably announce it there, I think, first. And uh, so it may not be this week. It may be in two weeks time. But uh, if you follow the newsletter, you'll get an update as soon as that happens. And so I'll be selling the originals. And I'm also going to do some smaller prints of these images as well. And I'm probably going to sign those as um, Joe Brown has done, uh, who's been on the podcast before with Mushroom Inc. So that'll be kind of an interesting uh, way to sign these prints that I'll be issuing. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, I really enjoyed working with this Mushroom Inc. I am going to do more, probably some more non-mushroom uh, subjects, but once again, around nature, because it's just, it's such fun ink to work with. It almost, as I've said before, it's kind of a mix between watercolor and ink because you're able to lift it off the paper as well easily. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm and I made it <laughs> for mushrooms around my lot and around the neighborhood. So that's kind of cool. So if you want to learn more about that, and this is your first podcast you've listened to, check out episode 64, where I go through and uh, talk about what I did and what I made and how I've used it. And um, some of the work I've done is up on my Instagram as well as my website, which I will list at the end of the show. So the other thing I uh, just wanted to share with you is I get so many questions about what tools I use, what, um, you know, what pencils, uh, eraser, what uh, leads, all that kind of stuff. So what I did, and this was prompted by uh, Pentel Canada because they were uh, asking everyone, what's in your pencil case? And I'm thinking, I don't think I've shown that. So I did a spread of my pencil case and everything I carry in it, which made me think I carry a lot. (laughs) I've got a lot of pencils in here. I don't like 
especially with mechanical pencils, I don't like things not working. So I always carry backups upon backups. And, and I like to make sure I have everything with me. So I'm a bit of a pack rat that way. So I'll uh, link to my Instagram post or maybe I'll link to my blog post where I talk about this a little bit and talk about what's in my pencil case. And then I had even more questions about uh, some of the elements because I've taken one of the, uh, I've taken these water pans and I bent them and added magnets so they could attach to my small palette. And people are like, how'd you do that? How does that work? So I think I am going to do a video about my uh, travel kit and I will post that on YouTube. So I'm going to do that after I release uh, this episode and get a few of the things out of the way. I'm going to um, do a YouTube video where I show how it's packed and what's in it and how they all work and if there's uh, unique things I've done just so people get a sense. I mean, I'd love to see in inside of people's um, kits. I remember James Gurney did a video about this, and it was so cool to see what he carries, what he considers significant. And I could go into kind of a deeper uh, reflection on kind of the watercolors I've chosen, because I've got quite a few half pans in this, and I'm still not sure on what the palette should be, but I'll share what uh, what I carry in there as well. So keep an eye out for that. It'll be my first, I think, art video that I've done, possibly. And uh, so I want to make sure that it looks good and maybe serves the basis for uh, future videos as well, because I think people would like to see this. So I think people would like to see this travel easel that I built based off of, uh, once again, James Gurney's uh, specifications. And it served me really well for some of the watercolor work I've been doing. And I should preface this, you know, I the kit I carry is the kit I use at home. So this isn't necessarily my get out of town and draw. <laughs> it is, I only have one. And so when I'm at home and I'm in my studio and I want to draw something, I open up the same kit I would when I'm parked by the side of the road and I want to draw a barn. So I just make sure it's always the same kit with me. And that's why it seems a bit excessive because I just like everything in there. I don't want to think about, okay, I'm going to go. So I need to pack uh, two or three things in this. And, you know, maybe I want to try watercolor. So I carry extra bits. I want everything with me. And off I go with my satchel and it works out really well. So all I have to do is choose a sketchbook, and now I think I've got that narrowed down too. So yeah, so keep an eye out for the video. I'll talk about it on here as well as my newsletter when I release that. So um, yeah, it should be within the next week, I think. I'll be able to record that and share it with you. So I think that's it. wanted to keep the updates fairly short and get right into this interview. My guest this week has been the hand creating the language for the shows like Kim Possible, as well as Danny Phantom, and so many others. His work in character design and caricature extend back many years and his creative journey to this point in time will inspire many. His experience as an artist, but also as an educator, provides us with the opportunity to learn so much. If you check out his Instagram and YouTube, you will find he spends much of his time highlighting and enforcing the need for a positive, creative mindset. To talk about his creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Stephen Silver. Stephen, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me here today. Thanks for coming on. You know, I was we were talking just before I started recording that you know, I, I found you because of your art, but what really has been wonderful for me in seeing your feed every day is all the positive messages you have uh, directed towards creatives and artists. I just really enjoy seeing that. I had a previous episode, uh, the last episode, where I talked just by myself about some of the challenges in being a creative and trying to dig deep and stay positive and keep moving forward. And I saw all of that in what you post. And so I thought, what a great opportunity to have you come on and talk about the wonderful work you've done with uh, Danny Phantom and Kim Possible and all this other stuff and all the teaching 
and all the positivity. So we're going to get to all of that. And I just really want to thank you for putting aside the time to do this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So I always like to understand the background because I think it helps us to connect with elements of somebody else's life. So I'm just wondering, how did it, how did this all start for you as a matter of being a creative? Um, was it something that you just one day as a kid, you decided, I want to be an artist and off you go? Or how did it, how did it happen for you? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a crazy story. I'm just going to keep it, it short. But when I, was, I grew up in, if you hear me with a funny accent, it is a funny accent because I'm originally from England and I moved from England to America when I was 10 years old. But when I was around six years old, um, I was looking out my bedroom window and lo and behold, I saw something out there on the grass and I went downstairs and to investigate what it was. And it was an original artist sketchbook, which had landscapes and portraits, all pencil stuff, you know, kind of like what you do. And it was just filled in there and I was just uh, mesmerized by it. And my, my dad drew, but not for a living or anything, just for fun on the side. Um, and especially when he was younger. So there was just that little bit of art in our house, but not, not really at all. And uh, from that point on, I just carried that book around with me everywhere and I just started drawing and it just became this just natural thing. It was just something that I just always uh, found myself just drawn towards, no pun intended, mm -hmm. but that's what it was. I was just, I just was just always doodling and it just started from there and I could never focus in school. I was a horrible, horrible student and luckily I have a twin brother, uh, so I was able to cheat off him most of my <laughs> way all through school and get to get my grades up to where they needed to be, but I was distracted uh, very easily and academically, again, it wasn't something I could do, so drawing always became the go-to, just sketching and then you find that, oh, you're the one guy who's drawing all the time and everyone starts to become mes mesmerized by you that you can draw even though it's horrible and it's, you know, it, it's nothing. But they're just like, wow, you can draw. And, it, and then it became like encouraging. And my parents were always very encouraging, like, oh, Stephen's an artist. And it's just like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think that's where like the create the pursuit of the creativity kind of came in for me was just based on based off of finding that book and just distraction and just needing to fill up my time with something that my brain was making me do. And, I, and I'm a huge believer in reincarnation. So um, I, I kind of believe that I was an artist in another life too. And it was just coming out of me in this life. That's awesome. Did you have, um, were you inspired? Because I remember when I was doodling when I was a kid, I was inspired by Tom and Jerry. I mean, we're probably within a few years of each other, but I was inspired by Tom and Jerry and all that kind of stuff. Were there cartoons or movies or like what was inspiring you to draw at that point what was um... yeah absolutely so I was definitely inspired by watching a lot of Hanna-Barbera in England growing up we only got like three channels BBC one BBC two BBC three and um I always watched like Hong Kong Fooey and the Flintstones and Tom and Jerry and all those so watching that all the time was something that was wow you know cartoons but I wasn't really into cartoons in that I was drawing cartoons, but I wasn't necessarily wanting to be a cartoonist because I didn't know what that was. And then it wasn't until about I was around 13 years old. Mm -hmm. I was at my cousin's house and all of a sudden uh, a book caught my eye, a huge giant book my cousin's parents had sitting on a bookshelf. 
And I went and grabbed it, and that book was by Norman Rockwell. And that's when I discovered Norman Rockwell at the age of 13 and was just like, whoa, oh my God, I want to be an illustrator. I want to do what Norman Rockwell does. And <laughs> it took me off into that world where I said, I got to start learning how to do portraits. I got to start learning how to do this realism stuff. Like, and still the cartoony stuff was always kind of there and, and caricature for some, you know, um, I'll just go a little bit further. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, uh, about 10th grade, I discovered Mad Magazine, where I found Mort Drucker and Jack Davis and all these amazing caricature artists. And then later on, Al Hirschfeld. And, and that was like, oh my God, caricature. So now I was taking what I learned by doing portraits, which I was trying to study for many years because of Norman Rockwell. And then that led me on to finding a lot of other portrait artists that, that we all um, probably aware of. And then from there was still mixing the cartooning but so it was always just it, you know it was a different time too where we, of course internet didn't exist so we would just discover these things in the bookstores in the library in a, in a used garage you know garage sale somewhere would see I'd find books like oh my god look at this artist book that I would find and I remember finding a book called the famous artist course I don't know if you're familiar with it by who put together by Norman Rockwell, Albert Dorn, Robert Fawcett, wow. all these amazing illustrators. It was the first correspondence school. It was created in the 60s. And they would, all these assignments and instruction, and you would just send in your artwork, and they would send uh, stuff back. But I found the books, and it was, would just draw from that. And that's kind of like where it all came from, was just constantly being inspired by other people out there. That's awesome. Yeah, Norman Rockwell's work is amazing. I think if for the listener, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And, you know, I mention this in every podcast episode, but anything that you mention or I mention that I can link to, I will include in the show notes. So all those names that you dropped. Um, oh, okay. Don't worry if you're listening to this and you're in your car or you're on a run, uh, it'll be in the show notes. They're waiting for you to explore. So that's fantastic. And it, it's interesting you mentioned the, the portraiture because I went to your site and looked at your portfolio and, and browsed around a little bit. And then I saw all the portraiture and and, and uh, all the gesture drawing that you've done and all of that. And it's wonderful to see you're still doing that today, that, that, that that's still part of everything that you do. I think that's, that's incredible that, uh, you, you know, you've got this toolkit that you've kind of uh, maintained and, and you're applying it against these, these uh, bits of subject matter that haven't changed since you were 13. Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. I think, I think cool. it's just one of those things you carry with you, you know, it's building the foundation and, you know, putting that in your pocket and having it with you that you can pull out when you need to. And it's really a lot of the same stuff, you know, like the, the stuff that we're doing with drawing, it just comes down to a lot of the same sort of things. And with the artist course, uh, the famous artist course, one of their main uh, mantras or their sayings that all throughout the course was see, observe and remember. And that's what they always sort of like live by. If you want to be an artist, you know, just always remember to see, observe and remember. And that was something that always stuck with me. So as I've learned these things along my journey, it's something that I'll always, you know, always just try to take that with me. I'm always looking at faces. I'm always looking at people um, and gesture and portraits are just part of everyday life. Yeah, there's um, and you've got wonderful, you know, videos, YouTube videos and, and bits on Instagram. When you talk about see, observe, remember. I remember looking at a, a video that you were talking about, you know, you were looking for inspiration and you had an insect book and you realized if you turn the insect book upside down that you could see kind of alien 
beings in some yeah. of the Beatles. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Like we, <laughs> that's our, that's our superpowers artists is observation. It's not necessarily always the skill. It's the observation, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's cool. You would have been in the U S when you went to college or university. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did you go, did you pursue art at that point? Yeah, no. So what pretty much happened just right out of high school, you know, my parents wanted me to go to college. And so I went to, you know, you got to go to college, got to get a degree if you want to be anything in this life. Mm -hmm. And so I went to uh, a junior college uh, in San Diego where I was for a year. Again, just hated it. Um, I was drawing on all my assignments and everything. And my parents even told me the counselor um, had called up my parents and told them, you're wasting your money, you know, for the junior college, you know, with Stephen here, he's just not doing anything. And all he's doing is drawing all the time. I don't know why he's even here. And, but I, after that year, my first year, I dropped out because I was just doing the academic stuff. And I told my parents, mom, dad, this is not for me. I, I want to be an artist for the rest of my life. And, and I had the fortitude at that time when I was only 18. And I knew that people in this industry are just going to care what your portfolio looks like. They don't care about a degree. It doesn't matter. It all comes down to how well can you draw? Can you give us the sort of thing that we're looking for? And, and I just realized that, that I need to just improve upon my skills. So I need to do whatever I can. And at that point, art school wasn't in the cards, too expensive, and, and that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I had, uh, what happened was someone was told me, hey, they're looking for caricature artists out at SeaWorld in San Diego. You should apply, you know, because you're drawing caricatures all the time. And so I applied and they gave me the job. And that, at that point, that's when I dropped out of school and told my parents, I'm done. I'm uh, no more school for me. That was the best day of my life when I dropped out of school. <laughs> and from that point on was just uh, doing caricatures. And that was my training ground. So that's where I really got all my experience was being out there doing it. I was taking some life drawing classes um, on the side. And doing that, so I was learning that way. But I was just diving into all my books. You know, I was I was copying a lot. I was copying all the Mad Magazine stuff. I was copying Norman Rockwell. I was copying J.C. Liondecker, these artists, these you know amazing illustrators, and just trying to learn that way. And that's what kind of um, has always been that that way for me. So, how long were you there doing that? Uh, how did it evolve from that point in time? Were you <laughs> discovered, or did you reach out and? And try to get yeah. into something else, or how did that happen next? Um, with the caricatures, I was I was doing the caricatures. I started in SeaWorld, and then uh, the company sent me to Minnesota to work at the Mall of America for its grand opening. And then I went to the 1996 Olympics and drew caricatures there. And then I was drawing in Kansas City, and I was going all over the place just drawing. And then I uh, would start doing private parties. Uh, people would say, hey, I got a party, you know, can you come draw at my gig, my wedding, bar mitzvah convention? And then I started that. And that's what led me to start my own business, which was Silver Tunes at that point, where uh, it still is. And I started just doing uh, live gigs at parties and building that way and started to go, God, you know, this is... I can do this on my own, you know, I can have my own business and people like this. And then I would go to restaurants where people were waiting in line to be seated and go to the restaurants and say, hey, do you want me to draw your patrons? 
you know, before they get seated and I'll put your logo on the bottom of the paper and just pay me 75 bucks, but le le let them tip me. And I was doing that on the weekends. I'd find places in San Diego where there were tourists and go, I'm going to go set up there and just draw the tourists. And so I really got excited just about really creating my own uh, business and doing that. And then, and then I would start setting up at the shopping malls during Christmas time as Christmas gifts. So people would get caricatures for their aunts and uncles and grandparents. And I would do that for two months out of the year at Christmas time. And I would get discovered. I got discovered by, um, I was out at the Christmas, uh, do, doing caricatures and one year, the president of this casino in San Diego called Barona Casino saw me there and he said, hey, what are you doing after the holidays? I said, I don't know, nothing. He said, you want to come and draw caricatures at the casino? Now, great. So they hired me four days a week. I'm doing that, you know. And then one year I was doing caricatures at the shopping mall and a clothing company named No Fear. I'm not sure if you've heard of yep. them. So they, the, the art team was at their lunch break and came to the shopping mall and saw me drawing caricatures and they said, hey, we need some guy who can draw with, with his hand. We're we just doing all the computer stuff and we need a guy who can draw. What are you doing after the holidays? You know, uh, I don't know. And so <laughs> I uh, came and met with them and they hired me uh, to do that. And that's why I learned how to use Photoshop and Illustrator and learned those. And then I was always showing up. I believe in showing up. And that just means when you hear about something, if someone says something, don't just let those things go in one ear out the other. It's just about, you know, if someone says, hey, there's a gallery show, there's, hey, there's an artist, they're going to come speak at the, the local community center, you should come listen, or you, you're, you know, my parents would always send me articles in the newspaper of like this artist that's in town, or this is happening. And I would always show up to these things just to investigate and learn and try to take in as much information. And I would join organizations. So I joined a cartoonist organization in San Diego and showed up there. And there was a guy that worked at Warner Brothers and he was a storyboard artist on a show called Freakazoid. And he was there. I would always bring my portfolio to every meeting just to show the artists, just to get their opinion. You know, hey, what do you think? Well, am I good enough? You know, what do you, do you think I could do this for a living? And uh, he looked through my stuff and he said, hey, you got some pretty good stuff, you know, keep in touch. So I, that, oh, keep in touch. Okay. You said <laughs> it. I'm going to keep in touch. And uh, I kept in touch with him. And about a year later, I said, hey, Tom, can I show you my current portfolio, what I've been doing? He said, yeah, why don't you come up to Warner Brothers, to LA? So I drove up to LA and he said, hey, this is looking good. Let me take your portfolio upstairs. They just fired a guy, a character designer. Uh, character designer, what's that? You, I never went to school. I didn't know what that was. And a character designer is someone that's hired to work on a show to design the characters. So you imagine if you're going to be like, let's just say SpongeBob SquarePants, you're going to be the character designer. You're designing SpongeBob, you're designing Patrick, you're designing all the other fish and you got to do the turnarounds and expressions and all this. I didn't know any of that, but he said, Hey, I think, you know, let me, let me see. So he takes my stuff upstairs, drop it off. The director wasn't there. I go back home and the next day I get a call from Warner Brothers saying, Hey, we, the director saw your work and really likes it, they want to test you. And so most of these studios, what they'll do to get a job, you'll go from your portfolio to being tested to see if you're right for the show. And then it will go to get yourself getting hired. And they said, so I then drove back to LA and um, went and met with the director and picked up the test. And he said, you know, 
bring it back in, you know, a couple weeks or so. And I, I just, I called up and like a week later and I'm like, I got stuff I want to show you. Really? You know, got stuff already. And I was just ready and I showed him my stuff, left LA again. And then a few weeks later, got a phone call from Warner Brothers saying that they want to hire me. And that was how I got my break into the animation industry, which I never even thought of in a billion years. It was just like such a, it was such a random thing, you know, it wasn't my dream, it wasn't my goal, it wasn't what it was. I wanted to set up caricature concession stands in theme parks and do that. That's where I was going for the rest of my life. So I thought maybe do some illustration work for magazines, do caricatures for that. But animation, it took me on this whole new trajectory and it just showed me and has always shown me that just to really just let things manifest and, and, and let things kind of happen and go with where the wind takes you and don't try to control everything in your life and just let, you know, the days be what the days are going to be and just set goals for yourself, but stop worrying so much about future outcomes. Because here I am almost 50 years old now and go looking back at 18 and wow, what a journey. And just, <laughs> it just happened, you know, just by taking action and doing stuff and not just talking about it, not just dreaming about it, but just doing stuff. You know, I have a feeling I'm going to learn a lot <laughs> as we get into this podcast. And I think you brought something home to me that I think about and I talk about, but I don't do often enough. And that is just doing the thing, like just get out and do it. Because I, I think that you know, maybe because I'm older, maybe because of the industries I've been in, I always look at opportunities and weigh them too much. You know, like it's, um, you know, here's the possible good things, the possible positive outcomes. Here's the negative outcomes. I'm not sure that I'm ready for that one yet. I'm going to wait for the next thing. And I think that it is showing up. It is pushing yourself. It is injecting yourself into these opportunities um, because it's not it's not that thing necessarily that's that's going to be important for the rest of your career, the rest of your life. It's the connection you make. It's the, the people that you stumble upon. So I, I probably need to do a better job of that. So thank you for reminding yeah, me. You know, yeah, you know, and I also like to tell a lot of my students and people I meet, it's just that none of this is, it's not a life sentence. You know, if you decide that you want to do this today, doesn't mean you have to do it six months from now. It's just like, and, and being so open, I think I've always been so open to failure. I've never looked at failure as failure. People go, you know, so sometimes they'll ask me, what are some of the things you've failed at or you feel like you really, and I, and I never look at it like it was ever a failure. I think I just, it was a try. I tried something mm -hmm. and maybe it didn't work out and it wasn't successful or whatnot, but it always seems to lead to something else. Every single one of those bumps, which you think are, there was always that connection that was made. Something else happened along the way that led me because of this, well, now I'm going to do this and I gain more knowledge over here. So it's always this constant stepping stone that I've found, which just leads me. And that's why I will try pretty much everything. One of my favorite words, which I came to realize uh, was just so powerful, was the word surrender. And I used to write it on my finger, my index finger, all the time where I have my drawing hand because I, I'm drawing, I'm looking at my hand. Anytime thoughts would go into my mind about something that necessarily wasn't working out or didn't feel right, it's just like surrender. And the more reading I did through whether it was, you know, philosophy, you know, science, you know, biblical, whatever it is, surrender, surrender kept showing up in all forms of writing. And, it, and then it finally hit me. Gosh, that's the magic word is just to surrender 
to the stuff and just let this stuff kind of, it doesn't mean give up. You're not giving up by surrendering. You're basically just surrendering to the fact that, hey, this experience is currently happening right now. This is what it is. Or just even being open to the idea of, let me just surrender to this and see what happens. And let's just see where this goes. And it might work out and it might not work out. But as long as, I always look at it this way, as long as I'm not doing anything harmful to myself, my family, or anyone else, right? As long as the, you, you put this criteria on it, like, well, that's not gonna, you know, by me doing this is, and it goes wrong, it goes right, isn't gonna affect all these other people. You look at it internally yourself, but realize that, okay, let me just try. Let me just see. It's just like surrender to it. Like even as simple as you reaching out to me to do a podcast and, and do this. It's like, I've never met you before. I've now fallen in love with your artwork and everything else <laughs> and then starting to meet you now. And, but I, I didn't know who you were and you reached out and you said you wanted to do this and I could have just easily blown it off and said, no, I'm too busy. You know, I don't want to do this or whatnot. Otherwise a form of surrender is like, this sounds like fun. Let's see what happens. Let, let, let's see where this goes. And I think it's having that openness to mm -hmm. anything in your life will just, I, to me, that's where the joy comes in. That's beautiful. And thank you for saying yes. <laughs> I, I think that uh, so many artists want to hear that. And I think to hear it from somebody who's been so successful in, in what, everything that you've done, it, it's great to hear that. I mean, for me, you just seem so grounded after everything that you've worked on, all the books and, and all the workshops you've done, um, that you're still grounded, you still understand what's important. And I do agree with you that, you know, being present in what you're doing is the most important thing. Like when I'm drawing and you, it's so funny, you were commenting about the detail in my drawing, but when I look at your drawings, I'm thinking, I don't know how you do that with a few curves and lines and all of a sudden a character pops out of the page. <laughs> But but for me, sometimes the drawing isn't the activity. It's or it's the drawing isn't the result. I'm drawing because I'm trying to calm myself down, or I'm trying to just get in touch with who I am. And the graphite on the paper, I don't care what I'm drawing. If I draw for an hour, my wife will tell me you're, you're a different person you were before you went downstairs to draw. And uh, so I think embracing the whole creative activity is so important to us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's so cool that somebody caught you and think ah, oh, just you got to come in and you got to talk to these people because of the wonderful work you do and you've done no animation before, right? Um, that's amazing, and like, is there? And you've worked on a few shows. Maybe you can talk about them a little bit. But I, I wanted to ask you, a lot of people are probably thinking, I want to be in animation. I want to work on these shows, you know. And there's a bit of magic around it. What can you tell us about the animation industry that may surprise us? that may help those people who are trying to get into it? Yeah, I, well, I think one of the most important thing is, is you have to know what it is that you want. And, and I think that goes for really anything. You have to have uh, an aim. You have to have a desire. You can't just go, I want to work in the animation industry. You got to start to pinpoint it more. It's got to be, I want to be a character designer in the animation industry. I want to be a prop designer. I want to do background layout. I want to do color and start to really just hone in specifically on what you do because the animation industry as a whole, in general, isn't looking for the jack of all trades. There's gonna be what they call generalists, where there are, there are certain studios, game studios, different 
people will want a generalist, someone who can sort of dabble at everything, not necessarily great at everything, but can dabble and can do this enough for the production process. But what the industry really wants is that 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 person who's specific in their craft and that they're good. You're a character designer. Like I'm it's like, okay, wow, look at all the versatility you have. Look at the variety uh, you have. This is what we need. So it's important to decide what position you really want. And then it's also extremely important in the animation industry, which differs from the illustration industry per se. If I want to be an illustrator for books or do magazine illustration, certain things, you want to have a consistency in your style because then the art directors know what they're going to get. They know every time that they hire Mike, they're getting Mike. They're not getting, you know, all these other artists. They know that's exactly what it is where animation you want to be as versatile as possible because one minute you're working on a show that looks like SpongeBob SquarePants and the next thing you're working on a show that looks like Scooby-Doo, right? And so you have this broad range of styles and the more you can show that, the more it's going to just look good for you and get you the, the sort of job and to get tested because they're going to say, hey, we're working on this show style. Oh, look at his portfolio. Looks like he could probably match that style. Let's give him a test. Let's see if it'll work out. So I think that's very important. Just know what you want and be versatile in that area that you want to get into. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to find that very helpful. I mean, we're always talking about portfolios and thinking about portfolios and what we're doing. And especially with Instagram, I find that so challenging sometimes because you're trying to you know, and I don't think people should be using Instagram for their portfolio, but some do. And I'm always nervous about, and I, at this point, I just don't care. I'm 54, so I'll just do what I want. But, you know, for me, it's, you know, I, I want to do something. I just want to throw it up in Instagram and share it with people. I want people to feel inspired. I want to show the works in progress. Do you think that Instagram is a place for a portfolio or should we be maintaining it as you do on a website? to allow those people who are interested in us to be able to chase us down for what they need? I think nowadays it's a cross-platform portfolio, to be honest with you. I think you, it's important to have a website, important to have your URL. I, I wouldn't suggest the thing about portfolios is sometimes people get onto these certain, say like ArtStation or something, which is a great website and has a lot of artists on there and they use that as a portfolio. The problem is with that is that there's all these other artists on there and if I'm looking at a character designer specifically, maybe sci-fi, I'm looking for something sci-fi orientated, I'm looking through their work but all of a sudden I'm seeing all these other people's little portfolios there too. So now I can click onto some other artists and now I'm being introduced to them. And okay, well forget Steven, I'm gonna go with this guy now, right? So you're almost putting yourself up against your competition. Uh, so I think it's important to have your own website, your own platform, don't make it too busy. But on the Instagram front, I do know that people get hired off that. I know that people, they're posting and sharing their artwork and uh, recruiters and different people are looking at that. Directors are on there and they might be having a show that they're going to work on and they're looking for a certain layout artist, concept designer, whatever it may be, and come across an artist on Instagram and go, oh, I love what they have going on there. Uh, so I, I think it's it, nowadays you kind of got to think in that global way, knowing that not everyone may just find your portfolio or get access. You can send them your URL. You can contact a studio. You can do that. But the chances of them potentially finding you on 
Instagram could be a lot greater. And I was uh, talking to one of the guys I know who runs Titmouse, uh, the animation studio. And I went and did a tour there one day with him. And I said, how do you find all your animators and artists? He said, believe it or not, we find a lot of them off like Vimeo and YouTube. They're making their own shorts. And we see their own shorts on there and go, these guys can animate clearly. Let's reach out to them. Let's see what happens. So that's why I feel like wherever you can, put your artwork out there. Um, and I would say if you're going to use it as a sort of portfolio basis, don't show what you ate for dinner last night, right? On your, mm -hmm. don't, don't muck it up with all that stuff. I think it's important to somewhat stay consistent with what you're sharing. You can show different styles and do different things, um, but I think just try to have some form of consistency. So you've worked on a few things. You worked on uh, Danny Phantom. You've worked on uh, with Kim Possible, and I've watched, I think, all the Kim Possible I have girls that were growing up at the same oh, time and it was like yeah. it's, it's yeah. one of those shows that i could tolerate yeah. <laughs> and enjoy watching <laughs> and they can do it as well and, and, and they would get a kick out of it so how was that for you i mean it just seems like so much fun to be able to do that kind of stuff what yeah. kind of memories do you have of doing all that i mean just really amazing just to to be able to there's there's one thing where you go on to an animated property that's already been designed and now you're just filling in like my very first job as on a show called Hysteria for Warner Brothers was it was already designed. It was already created. I was brought on as a character designer. So now I have to mimic that style in order to keep the consistency and getting to design um, when I got hired uh, by Disney to do Kim Possible. I was actually there, was hired, I left Warner Brothers to design a show called Clerks, the animated series. So they were, which by Kevin Smith, he made an animated series, um, if you're familiar with Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. And he did, uh, so they were creating an animated uh, series. I happened, uh, one of my friends at Warner Brothers, I think this is very important too, whenever you get involved in any studio, when you're wherever you are, just make friends, meet people. Don't, you know, you got to have that confidence because I think that's how jobs end up happening. And one of my friends at Warner Brothers said, hey, I got a buddy who's working at Disney. He said they're looking for a character designer and they're having trouble trying to find the style. Maybe you should submit your portfolio. So he had the connection and he put me in touch with his buddy who got my portfolio in front of the director. And then the director's looking through my portfolio and he's seeing a bunch of drawing, bunch of styles. Again, this is where the versatility comes in. Even though I wasn't exactly showing exactly what the style was, there were things in there that he saw in my work that says, hmm, I think this guy could do it. And then he gave me a test. And then that's what brought me on to, they hired me for clerks to start designing all the characters uh, for that series. So that was very challenging and fun because you get to really designing something from nothing. You're kind of making up the rules with your director as, as you're going. And that's what sort of like happened. And then uh, once a show ends, you'll get bounced onto another show if there's another show. So I was bounced onto another show at Disney called Weekenders, which was in their second season. And now I'm hired, so I got to mimic that show style and I'm doing that. And I wasn't having a lot of fun. I didn't necessarily enjoy the show style at all. And my director, who, when I worked with on Clerks, they're now creating Kim Possible. 
and they're needing a designer and they've taken, they've, they've had some other artists who have tried some things and it wasn't working in the direction they wanted. Hey, Steven, can you take a stab at, this is the idea of Kim, she's a this and that. They give me the script and see, just to see what I come up with. And then I just started roughing out a bunch of designs and then the directors and the creators liked where I was going and they said, we can we get you over here? So they pulled me off of Weekenders and brought me on to Kim Possible full time to now start designing that show. What is okay? There's a naked mole rat. Okay, what does he look like? You know, here's you know Ron Stoppable. What does he look like? And and getting just uh, you go through a lot of trial and error. You know, a lot of development, a lot of roughs, explorations, and it's constant back and forth. So even though I'm designing and working on these shows, it's still never. I'd never say that it's, a, it's an individual process. It's a collaborative process. You know, at the end of the day, I'm putting my hand on it and creating that, but you're still, you're, you're getting feedback. Oh, let's make them longer. Let's make them shorter. Let's maybe, you know, make the, make the hair, you know, as I'm showing my designs. And then you start to find this language. And then now I'm, I'm the hand that's creating the language of all these characters and designing. And all of a sudden the script will come. Okay, well, I got to design this monkey fist character. Who's he? Oh, cool. That's a good, who's he voiced by? Oh, that's cool. Voiced by that. Sometimes you don't know who the voice is going to be. Sometimes you do. I remember there was a character in Kim Possible called Senior, Senior, Senior. And he was voiced by Ricardo Montalban. So I was designing this Senior, Senior, Senior. And I just... The director, the, no one's like happy necessarily with where I'm going with it. I'm drawing and they go, listen, he's going to be voiced by Ricardo Montalban. And it wasn't until like two weeks after, dude, oh, now you tell me. So then once <laughs> I got that voice and everything, now I could start to build that character. And that's like how the process would work. And so it goes from, you're usually, it's a nomadic life, this animation industry. You're going from one show to the next, you know, unless you're on The Simpsons, right? Where, where those guys are, what are they, 30, 40 years now? I don't even know um, where you, you it keeps going, but. A lot of these shows, they may be going for about a year, two years, depends on how many seasons there are. And so after Kim Possible was done, well, then you're laid off, you know, okay, I've done my job. I created this franchise, but now there's no other jobs. And then there, you got to go looking for work at another studio. You're here and there. And that's when I got contacted by Nickelodeon. Uh, again, a friend connection said, hey, they're looking for this guy named Butch Hartman, the creator of Fairly Odd Parents." is looking, he created this new show called Danny Phantom and is looking for a character designer to tie it all together, bring it all in. And um, I went and met with him and we got along well and they gave me a test, a paid test, which is usually very unusual. You don't usually get a paid test. We're hoping the industry will start adopting that because I think it would be fair for your time you're putting in. If you're serious about an artist, pay them for the test. Uh, and they, they, so I did it just so here's the script, here are the characters. Let's see what you come up with. Designed a bunch of ideas and Butch saw him and just like, okay, this is the guy and brought me in as the lead character designer, but then they brought in another character designer. And then there were three eventual character designers that worked on the show, only two of us at a time. But for the first like two months, it might've been like a month and a half, two months, I was just in the office myself because I they because the shows get so big, you need to, you can't just one person do it. And then we, the character designers would start to split up the characters, you know, um, with new scripts that would come about. But in the first couple of months, 
you know, I'm designing, you know, Danny and Jazz and Sam and all the you know, those characters and going back and forth with the director. Do you like this direction, like that direction? Um, and then you build it up from scratch that way to where then you form a language. Again, forming now, it's my job as a designer to create that language of the show to make it look the way it does. So that way Danny Phantom looks the way it does for that purpose. Kim Possible, you know, they, they start to look like the way they do because you're the language creator um, and, and idea creator. And that's sort of how the process works. That's awesome. You know, I've had urban sketchers and plein air painters, and I do a lot of that myself on here, that go out in public areas and, and draw what they see, paint what they see. And I've, I saw a video on YouTube of you doing that. You're sitting outside in a mall and you're just drawing people yeah. as you're walking by. And I thought that was brilliant. And, and the way you're rendering them is like, ah, uh, it's just blowing my mind. Um, so I'm wondering, like characters like Kim Possible and Danny Phantom, are these, did they start in a mall that you, <laughs> like, where do you get your inspiration for these characters? Are these people that you saw? Like, is Kim Possible somebody who works at a, a Walmart somewhere that you're like, hey, <laughs> I, I need your hair. <laughs> well, funnily enough, like Kim Possible, when I was starting just to draw a lot of her sketches were based off my wife. My wife had a very round face and her hair at the time was sort of like going across in that way. So mm -hmm. if, and she has big eyes, you know, like the, these big eyes. So if you saw a picture of her and saw Kim Possible, you go, okay, I can see the similarities <laughs> there. And there'd be just, yeah, the everyday inspiration, really. And that's where a lot of characters will start to come into the um, scripts or, or the what needs to be drawn. A lot of the the incidental characters, because you've got to remember there's all the, the school kids and the teachers and the this person, the you know, that guy at the you know shopping mall that's in the TV show. So it's really a collection from me of just observation all the time is always looking at people at lunchtime. I would go at lunchtime a lot of the times and just sketch people at lunchtime like, oh, I like their hair. I like what they're wearing and start taking visual notes. And then I could start just to make characters out of that. They would never know in a million years it was them, mm -hmm. you know, but there were there was inspiring things about them that I was able to put into the designs. And that's how it comes about. And then get, looking at film, looking at magazines, I'd, I'd get, um, I remember when I was doing, uh, yeah, I think it wasn't Kim Possible. I would go to the bookstores at the time and grab, you know, teen magazines, buy teen magazines. Just to, you know, again, this was like pre all the internet stuff. We didn't have the ability to go find, do all this have all this access. So I'd buy those magazines and look at the kids' hairstyles, look at their clothing. And even with Kim Possible, from the time you're developing a show to the time it comes out could be up to two years, right? So here, I remember them saying, we need you to kind of predict what the fashion will be like in two years from now. What are people going to be wearing kind of like two years from now? Wow. And uh, so that's something you got to keep in mind. So you're paying attention to fashion and you're looking around and what, and it's amazing how fashion trends work. You know, I think right now everyone's wearing what you would wear in the seventies and, and eighties again, right? It just kind of goes in these ways. There's some years that really are just like, wow, the clothes are really different. But I know jeans will never go out of style. You know, they seem to never have. So you could always, maybe they get tapered a little bit more. Maybe they get a little bit more bell-bottomed. But, you know, you just you just got to always keep your eye out. And that's where, like you mentioned, just the, the seeing, you're doing the plain air and you're observing. That's what it is constant as an artist. Keep When I'm at a, 
I take pictures a lot. So I love street photography and I love looking at street photographers work. But I myself, if I spot someone, I'm snapping pictures of them just like just for reference. Otherwise, I'm drawing them in my sketchbook. That's so awesome. When you're out drawing and sketching and, and capturing those memories and capturing those reference images, it's so funny you mentioned magazines. It was like, you know, when Pinterest was in a bookstore, right? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. It's a very different time. But yeah. um, I, I'm wondering about what tools you're using. What are you using when you go out and you're sketching? Uh, you know, what, are, you, are you specific about the paper and the pencil or the, are you using a pen? And then when you're coming back, what kind of materials you're working with? Is it analog? If so, what do you use? Is it digital? Are you using a, a Cintiq versus an iPad? Maybe you can talk about the, your, your toolkit that you use. Yes. Yeah, so drawing from life, I just have a sketchbook. Many years ago, I just started making my own sketchbooks. I would go to the art store. I'd buy colored papers. I'd buy cans on paper, this texture, watercolor paper, uh, usually 9 by 12. And then I would rip off the binding and then I would go to Kinko's or FedEx, Kinko's now, whatever it's called, and have them rebind them. So then I would just, that way, if I felt like drawing on this tracing paper today, I'd do that. And so I was always able to just switch my mediums. And that's what I would do. I really use a plethora of mediums from markers to brush pen to pencil to create a uh, prismacolor you know I'm, I'm just using everything on these different papers so that's what i would do uh and very rarely would i go out and draw on an ipad now every now and again i will but i still love doing it with my hand just drawing that way because i draw on the computer so much and at home i'm using a cintiq and that's that's that big giant monitor. It's a 22 inch Cintiq that you can draw on the screen for those that aren't familiar with it. And that's something that I'm using all the time and the industry is using all the time because it's easier to make revisions. Uh, and that's why I choose to draw digitally for any sort of production or freelance work so that I can make quick changes as opposed to if I was drawing it traditionally and then had to change it. Oh no, we need to make that bigger or rounder or whatever it is. And then it's like going through that, those methods we once learned, you know, it just uh, traditionally we're going through the white out or scratching things out, doing all that, cutting it out. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't have the time necessarily to do that. And I, it's not necessary anymore. So that's what I'm mainly using now is just my Cintiq. And if I ever draw, when I do draw traditionally, when I come up with ideas, because oftentimes I'll just be sitting on the couch watching TV, just thinking of ideas if I'm working on a specific project, because I don't have to just be in my studio where I am now working on something. I could be sitting outside. I could be anywhere. I could be at the dinner table and that idea might pop into my head or I might see something. So I'll draw and then all I do from there when I have it on paper, since I don't have a scanner anymore, is I just take a picture of it with my iPhone and then I just uh, drop, you know, put it onto my computer. And I usually use a program called Sketchbook is my go-to one and then Photoshop to maybe finalize uh, some things. But those are the programs that I'm using. That's awesome. So I was going to like ask you, is there... So you talk about, you know, the fact that you may be sitting on a couch or at the kitchen table and you may decide to sketch something. Do you do you still find an opportunity to draw for yourself, uh, whether it's evening, weekend, whatever the case, where maybe you don't feel like it's work, but it's just like, could you stop drawing for a week or two? Or would you have this need to like, ah, just going to sneak in a little one here? 
Yeah, no, I I absolutely could. Uh, it's it's never really happened. A whole week's gone by without drawing, but I I absolutely could. There's days that I've gone uh, without doing it, um, and it's not. It's not so much, I used to, I was a lot more diligent about drawing for myself all the time. I used to just, again, sketchbook all the time, meet up with friends all the time, go sketching. And I just, I'm not necessarily there so much anymore. I, I'm either working, doing stuff for clients, otherwise I'm teaching. And I'm, and I love that process. So that's really replaced my own feeling the need to draw for myself. I do love going to figure drawing, like every Thursday I'll go, I'm looking forward to tomorrow because I get to go to figure drawing. It's just an uninstructed figure drawing class with a bunch of random people, some professional, some not, about 10, 12 people, and we just sit for three hours and draw, and I love doing that. That's when I draw for myself, but I'm, I'm not, I don't draw as much as I used to. I, I was always getting if I if I have to go to the airport or something, I'll have a sketchbook and I'll be drawing. But I find it very rare now that I am actually truly drawing for myself. Not because I don't want to, not because I'm tired or anything else. It's just it's 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 weird, you know. It's an interesting thing that happened to me when um, and I had just been talking about it with people. So it's an interesting question that it's something that. I, I thought that, oh my God, is something wrong with me? I don't have that desire anymore. What's going on? Why, why don't I want to do that? I, I should feel guilty. I should be, something should be going on, but I'm not. I, I feels like I'm in that space and place in my life. And what I truly believe, instead of ever forcing anything, is allowing yourself to be gently pulled in this direction that's going to kind of pull you and sort of go with that flow and stop resisting it and surrender. Stop fighting it. There's not just surrender to this. Is that don't don't be upset that I don't want to go out and sketch at the coffee shops all the time like I used to. It's just that was a phase in my life. That's something that I that I did, and I've, I've become just more open to that experience. But I think figure drawing really now is the only thing that I kind of draw for myself, unless I'm drawing something like I love doing um, animated. Uh, if I were to design an animated show, like say say it was The Office or Parks and Rec, or Breaking Bad, like right now I'm doing one on Squid Games. If I were to uh, design the Squid Games as animated characters, how would I do it? So that's when I'm drawing kind of for myself and, and, and doing that without, without any sort of pressure. And I just dabble at it when I have time to do it. Yeah, I checked out your store to see, uh, you know, The Office and... Um... Indiana Jones and it yeah. was like oh these are these are awesome <laughs> so like if you're listening to this and you're going to look at the show notes like for sure hit Stephen's site and for sure hit the store because it is that was so much fun I was like what and this and what uh, it was it was great so I, I I'm wondering when you decided to transition to teaching because I think a lot of artists do that too late I think we are better artists when we start it as early as possible. And I'm wondering what, to use your words, were you pulled into teaching or did you feel compelled to teach? Yeah, I think I've always been, again, this is like this reincarnation factor. I, I feel like I've always been that person that was 
always giving advice and always trying to help someone else. And when I was doing characters at the theme parks, I was always, as I was learning myself, I was always just trying to help other people uh, get to where they needed to go. And then it wasn't till I was taking a, um, after I would leave at nighttime, uh, Warner Brothers, my job there. And then I was just going and taking some uh, classes at night. And I was taking a character design class at this school in Sherman Oaks, which is no longer there. And uh, the teacher said, Man, I don't even know why you're here. You know, your stuff's so good, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I'm always just wanting to learn and get better and improve. And he says, have you ever thought about teaching? I th he said, I think, you know, you'd be a great teacher. And I think maybe, you know, it'd be awesome if you could help me, you know, teach. And it was at that moment that, um, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to surrender, you know, and I surrendered to it instead of resisting it. And finally, I said, let me try. Let me see what happens. And I did it. And I remember my very first night of teaching. I felt it was just the most amazing experience. I can't even describe it, really. Just this this feeling like all of a sudden the universe was saying, good, now you're here. This is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. This is what we've been waiting for you to grow up to get to this point in order to start being a teacher because this is part of your purpose in life. <laughs> and I remember coming, driving home and I told my wife and said, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want, I know there was this, again, it was like these, these bolts and this energy, this, this something transitional changed at that moment. And from that point on, I decided that this is it. And uh, I just always put myself in that role and I've always found joy in it. And it's so rewarding to me. And oftentimes it's so much better than getting the client notes, <laughs> you know, it's just like change this, do that, fix this, fix that. It's just like, no, I get to, I did get to paint the palette here. I get to create the curriculum. I get to tell the story. I get to show you what I think you should work on. I get to help you take your drawing to that next level and help you discover something. I feel like I've I've had the tools. I was given the tools. I've borrowed the tools and I've used the tools. And now I feel it's my role. Now my purpose in my life is to hand my tools over to you. And here, here are the tools. Now you build your, I built my house. You go ahead and build, build yours, you know, with these tools. And again, it's just so gratifying to me. And that's why, and, and it's natural. I don't have to think about it. I don't stress about it. I just, I'm always evolving. Every workshop I ever do, my wife always busts my beep. Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> just because uh, she, she's just like, God, every time you're doing a workshop, you're always, why are you always fixing things? Why are you always, why don't you just stick with, you've already created it. And it's like that desire, just, I want to make it better. How can I, how can I say something different? What if one of those people that was in my workshop last time is in this workshop? I don't want them to hear me say the exact same thing. I want them to hear something new. And, and, but it's this, uh, I'll be in the shower. I'll be at bedtime sleep, you know, in my dreams. I, I, I random parts of the day, I'm just like, that would be a fun exercise for people to do, you know, and then I jot something down. So I just know it's within me. It's innate. And I'm just following that as, okay, I know why I'm here. That's fantastic. And you've written books. Yeah. Like you, you've done it all, right? And you are doing it all. How much, when it comes to the courses and the workshops you're, you're doing, are you focused around like character, caricatures, animation, character design? Is that the primary focus of what you're teaching? Yeah, I kind of treat it as you say, like three different things. It's really mindset, caricature, and character design. 
So I'm really mixing all those three elements in there. Again, the mindset, making sure you're getting in the right headspace because it's so important. It's not just the drawing. It's about how we think about drawing. It's about how we approach everyday life. It's how we get ourselves out of the anxiety or the depression or just the, the fear of the, the, the competition that's out there. And again, really getting your mind into that that sort of place. And then I discuss caricature because to me, caricature and character design are one and the same. If you can caricature, I believe you can be a character designer, no problem. It's just a manipulation of shapes and sizes and that, that's all you're just kind of doing. So I teach that and impart um, that advice and then people go, oh, okay, now I see why you're exaggerating or why you're not exaggerating. Oh, and now I need to design this you know, this uh, steampunk crocodile. Okay, well, let me think, what can I exaggerate about the crocodile and the steampunk aspect to it and play around with that and then manipulating shape? So it's really a, a hybrid between those three things. And if people want to engage in these courses, these workshops, that's all available through your site? Are you doing yeah, online stuff? Site. Yes, yeah, through okay. my silverjoinacademy.com. I actually have a workshop coming up on November uh, 13th and 14th. It's a two-day virtual workshop where I'll be going through all this. That's awesome. Yeah, this yeah. podcast will be out before that. So if you're hearing it, there's probably, there's still openings? Yes. So I always ask this question of, of people who are teaching uh, because, you know, I could ask you about the teaching, which I did, but what have you learned from the teaching? What has that taught you about being a person and possibly being a professional? Like, what, what have you gotten out of it that has made you better? I think patience. Um, it's really taught me to be patient as working with students and if they're struggling and just knowing that even though I think like this is obvious, knowing that it's not to them and that this person needs just a little bit more time. Otherwise, I need to really break this down in a different way that I never thought of before. So it's taught me how to really organize, get, get a lot more organized, but also just working with people because I believe in I believe in praise and encouragement as a, as a teacher. I don't believe, I, and it's not just like giving them praise or, oh, you're so good, don't worry about it, you're so good. It's like giving them enough to know that you you can do this, you know? It's not exactly where you need to be right now, but if you keep doing this and you put this into practice, I guarantee that you're gonna start seeing the results from that. And it's really breaking down that sort of mindset and philosophy just to, just to help other people. So I've really learned from by doing that and also just the fundamentals, the constant, going over of the fundamentals over and over again, where when we tend to become professionals, we just get in our, our zone and we're doing our thing and we're not necessarily thinking about how we got there. If someone were to ask us on the spot, hey, how do you do that? Well, I don't know, I just do it. Um, but I'm able, by, by teaching, you're able to really break that factor down a little bit more so that as you're drawing, you can explain it that you're just going through. It's just like, the reason I'm drawing this is because the form as it's wrapping this way is gonna start creating this shadow, which is on top, you know, whatever it may be, you can just like really break it down. Um, and I think that's what I've really benefited from, to be honest with you. And it's made my, and I think it's really strengthened me as an artist to having go over the fundamentals over and over and over again, so it's never ending. Even though I got my, you find your style, you find your look, you do your thing, there's still the fundamentals in there. There's still the construction, 
You got you can't avoid that. You gotta pay attention to that. And I think that's one thing that I notice just in general that a lot of artists are missing in their work. I've seen a lot of good ideas. There's a good ideas, but the execution when it comes to the construction and putting it together, I feel is often one of the greatest weaknesses that a lot of artists suffer from. And I think if they and again it can be boring. You know, oh my God, I got to do all the construction. I got to build this up and just, you know, I said, I don't want to hear that. I just want to get to the pretty picture. I just want to get to the details. That's the fun stuff. I don't want to, so that's why I think it's important for the artist to give themselves certain challenges too. Like uh, one of my students right now, she just finished a challenge of doing a thousand hands, you know, within a period of time, right? It's just like she struggled, but now, now not anymore. You know, now you start to build up. And that's what I try to preach upon my students all the time is repetition. The importance of repetition. Just stop moving on to the next thing so quickly just because it's a shiny object, you know. And as artists, oh, shiny object, where? Uh, squirrel. You know, we're often <laughs> running to the next thing. It's just like, yeah, pay, pay attention to that. And um, I think that that's very important. And it reminds me of just a, a saying that, I turned on the radio one moment when I was driving in the car and this phrase never left me. This guy said, pay attention on purpose to the present moment, you know, and, and I love that. And it's just like, even as you're drawing, just as much as you do, you know, when you're drawing, like I told you before we started recording, like, wow, your, your patience for doing what you do with graphite pencil it's like, I couldn't do that. You know, I think that's what led me away from being very illustrative was, man, I just don't have the patience for that. And, but I think it's important to, yeah, find, find that, um, get, get, get into the fundamentals, learn the construction, start, take your time, repeat, repeat, repeat until you can almost draw something out of your head. Right. So it almost becomes just, uh, I, I don't have to think so much when I'm drawing it. I can just do it without thinking so much. And that's almost like where you want to get to. As somebody who's worked in animation for so long in character design, when you're seeing these new properties, these new shows and movies coming out, are you looking at them with that eye? Like, is there things that have caught your eye that you like, that you think that's a really good, I like what they did there. I don't know if we, if I can ask you that, if you can answer it, but I'm just wondering what has caught your eye as a matter of some of the creation that's happening now? Um, I, I mean, I would say that's always happening. Uh, just again, it's being, uh, once again, observant. Uh, oftentimes when I'm designing a show, and working on something, I always want to know from the producers, the directors, just tell me something you ha have in mind themselves. Because as, as uh, work for hire, as a commercial artist, I need to fulfill their vision. So what I'm really just trying to do is get in their head and they may say, oh, we really love that, you know, they'll, they'll have tried to get them to put together what's called a vision board of just ideas and concepts of we love this show style. We love this. We love this about this. So that way I know that, oh, OK, they're looking for something super cartoony. Let's just say like SpongeBob over something a lot more action adventure like, you know, Batman or something like that. I know where they stand. So then I'll start looking at maybe that genre. Maybe, maybe Let's even just say it's preschool. I, they want me to design a preschool show. Well, I'm going to start looking at a bunch of preschool shows that are out there just to find like what unifies a preschool show? What makes it feel like a preschool show? I got to get in their head. What do they think a preschool show is? And, and that's what I'm always sort of searching for in, in that regard says, to, to building um, a show style. Interesting. That's a good point about the vision board, because I've heard people talk about that before as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. So back to the point about artist and the mindset, what do you think is, and, and you've, you've talked about some examples and some points around this, but I'm going to ask you kind of pointedly, what do you think is holding many artists back? Like not necessarily even just within caricature and character design, but what do you think is holding most of us back when it comes to uh, moving our creative journey forward? Fear. Yeah. Fear of, again, not being accepted, fear of not being good enough, fear of being judged. Uh, and th this sort of stuff, I, I just see it all the time. People are reluctant to share their work because I know it's not as good as uh, so-and-so artists. And what if they say this? And, you know, what it becomes this what if. And I think that's the one thing that's holding them back, their own fear of what they think might happen as a result of them sharing that and and the competitive nature of just of it. And there was a great philosopher that I've read many of his books called Wallace Wattles. And he, there's a quote that he said, he said, don't be competitive, be creative. And I always love that. And I just, yeah, that's right. You know, it's just like, be creative, just to just work on your stuff. Don't worry about the competition. I think when we can start letting go of that, and just, um, and then, uh, God, what's his name? There's another gr great author, and I always forget his uh, name, and I got to remember it, but he said, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde. Uh, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. That's awesome. And I think yeah, those things are just like, that's, that's what you got to remember. You got to remember these things. When you hear these things, remember them, write them down so that next time your mind goes spinning and you start to get in that place, just remember that you are you and just be yourself and do what you're going to do. Stop worrying about what the competition's doing and just, you have your own voice. And I tell people too, it's like you have your own specific way that you speak you know you got your own vocal cords that are d distinctly you you have got your own way that you walk is distinctly your walk you know you got there's so many things that are you and this is just another extension of it so even though we look at other great artists and go gosh yeah i want to be like them of course right it it inspires us i, I wanted to be like Mort drucker and norman rockwell but i know i'm not going to be those guys and eventually you just got to start to surrender and get to that place of acceptance that this is who I am. This is what I do. And this is what I enjoy. And uh, let the world see it. And if the world doesn't like it, then so be it, you know, but I can't please everyone. And that's something we always got to remember. But I think fear of all the for all those reasons is the major factor. I would agree with that. <laughs> I struggle with fear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you've talked about everything that you're working on. I'm going to ask you to summarize it. What do you feel like your mission is in life at this point? Is really just to help impact artists around the world, impact lives of others. I feel that's what my, and again, another reason why I would never turn down ever a podcast or some other place to reach people, as many people as I can, just to try to get this message out there, just to let people know that you can just set your mind to something that you want to do and just do it and act on it and don't be afraid and don't worry about what other people think because it just doesn't matter. This is your life and there's a part of 
we can see, you know, some people throw around the world, the word, if you say selfish, like selfish is a bad thing. It's like selfish has the word self in it. And we're all trying to take care of ourselves. We're all trying to help ourselves. And then we're trying to help our families. And we're trying to all the, the different people that you have to have that self within you. So it's okay to want to do and work on your own thing and, and pay attention to that. But I think it's just important just to know that it just, just, just again, be you, just, just get out there, just explore, experiment, see what works, see what doesn't, try this, try that, meet new people, build up your courage, just, just, you never know, you just never know, and, and, and we just don't know what tomorrow brings, you don't know if you'll even have a tomorrow, for crying out loud, and after this pandemic, you know what happened with that, just the fear, that was put in, you know, just so many people. I remember the first days of it where no one was leaving their house. We're like, what the heck is this? You know, what the heck? Is this thing going to come knocking at my door? You know, it's just like, you you, you have no idea. But the, the thing is that you just got to just put yourself out there in any way you can and take those risks. Surrender to, to anything that you feel is just, uh, you know, one way or another, just try not, you know, you got to be smart. Don't, again, don't, don't do things that are going to be dangerous. There's, there's a thing I, I, like I say, I, I would love to be able to do a standing flip, but I've never done it because I'm afraid I'm going to snap my neck on the way down. So I just <laughs> don't do it. Right. Or I'm never going to stand at the edge of Grand Canyon just to look over, just to get a closer look. I mean, that's putting myself in real danger. So that, that's the thing. You don't want to put yourself or any other people in danger. But I would say there's so many things in this life that you should you should try. And you should experiment with and and see how many times you end up asking people something and wow, lo and behold, they actually got an answer and you never thought in a million years that they were going to answer you, but they did. And all of a sudden, because of that one moment, it led to something else. And I think about that with all my experiences in my life. That it was always been a matter of being taking initiative, being inquisitive, and asking someone something that led to something else, which took me here, took me there, and always gets me up the ladder every single time in some way or another. And I would say, don't be afraid to climb the ladder. Don't be afraid to reach the top. It's it's there's, it's it's okay. It's exciting, and it's okay to fall down the ladder and climb back up. And they go down it again and climb back up. It doesn't matter. This is your life. And if we have and we have a short amount of life. If we're lucky, we got average lifespan of humans is 83 years old. You know, that's the average. So if we're lucky to have 83 years, man, make the make the best of it. Just try it. Try not to have regrets. That's that's a really big thing. Try not to have regrets and just just ex experiment um, and, and just do it. That they, Nike said it best. Just do it. And uh, one of my other favorite quotes from um, Mark Twain, he said, I've had many problems in my life, many of which have never occurred. And that's oftentimes the truth. We create these scenarios, these dilemmas, these problems that, well, this might happen. This could happen. They may say this. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, wow, it didn't even go down like that. What was I doing? Why was I thinking that way? And that's what I would want to just say to, to people and encourage people is just to, just to go out and get it. Just, just try at least, you know, and you, it's going to take you somewhere for sure. What do you think is the best advice that you've ever received professionally? Well, I think it was like from my dad who said to me, keep your ears and your eyes open and your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and it was and it was something, but no. Besides that, he said, 
don't be afraid of the the no, because uh, that was my, that was my fear when I was younger. When I was eighteen, I wanted to set up at a shopping mall doing caricatures, and I was so afraid of what might happen. You know, what are these guys going to say? What if they reject me? What if this and that? And he said, "What are you so afraid of?" I said, "What are your biggest fears?" And I said, "Well, I, my big, biggest fear, I would hate to be stabbed." You know, I think that would be horrible and I would hate to drown. I think drowning would be a horrible death. And he goes, when you go into that meeting, what's the, what are they going to do? Are they going to stab you? No. Are they going to drown you? No. The worst thing they're going to do is say no. And that's it. The worst thing someone's going to do in all honesty is say no. So why not be afraid? Why be so, uh, why be afraid to ask? And, and from that point on, I was never afraid to ask anyone for anything or about anything because... The worst that was going to happen was they were going to say no. And it's always after all these years has always been the same thing. But what I found is the majority of the time, 90% of the time, people are saying yes. You know, they just will. So I think that's just a, a very important uh, piece of advice. What have your parents thought about your journey where you've ended up? Yeah, they're always surprised and shocked. I always tell them they owe me money for not sending me to school. They didn't have to pay for my art education, but my art school where they paid for my siblings. I said, you owe me money for that still. No. But uh, it's, I, I think they're extremely proud and um, just were always supporters, you know, every step of the way just kind of believed in me. And I think that really just helped and encouraged me. And they, they just saw my drive, you know, from a very early age and knew that, you know, what, what's, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is he'll come home and live at home, you know, a lot longer or something like that would happen. But they were always very open to it. And I'm very thankful for that because I do have a lot of students whose parents aren't that encouraging, who just feel like you're wasting your time. Artists are a dime a dozen. You know, why, you know, you're chasing the wrong thing. You got to go get a degree if you want to be something. But in this art industry, no one cares what your degree is. No one cares what school you went to. The only thing, your portfolio is your degree. You know, that's, that's what says it right there. Your artwork tells people whether you have the talent that they're seeking. And that's your number one aim is to get that. So if you can do it, however you can do it, if you can't afford a four-year art school, there's a lot of online courses and different things you can take and find the right mentor and the right teacher for you and learn from the industry professionals. You know, you don't have to spend a fortune doing that, but you should take initiative. Uh, and that's very important. I wanted to go back just to you starting your Silver Tunes you know, transitioning from being an artist to a business owner, did you have everything needed to do that? Or, or how did you address kind of the business side of being a creative? Yeah, just uh, reading lots of books. That was one thing, one of my first books that I ever read. I don't even know. I'm sure it's still in publication, but it was called Guerrilla Marketing. This was mm -hmm. back in 1989, 19, you know, just uh, very early on and just reading and learning about that. I would find just just get books. My parents were my mom was uh, uh, in real estate. She was a real estate agent selling, you know, residential houses. And I saw her work ethic. And she worked very hard and was working every weekend and she was going door to door and even would send us out to go help her just drop off flyers at people's doors and on the weekends and just let, you know, so I saw that work ethic and, and knew what it took. And I, I, so that really helped me when I was doing this and um, I, that, that would uh, be, be a guiding source. 
and just began being acquisitive to finding people that were doing what I wanted to do. So when I wanted to do caricatures, caricature parties, who's doing caricature parties? Oh, that guy does, that guy does. Hey, so how do you go about dealing with this? How do you go about dealing with that? Some people weren't forthcoming with information and other people were, you know, they'd be like, yeah, you know, I did this and I did this and okay, that's great advice. Thank you. And so it was always asking questions. And I think that's what kind of got me to that level. And also seeing the rewards of being a business owner, having your own business, setting your own hours, right? Creating, if you your business will only get as good as you put in the time to make it good. And if I'm not willing to get up that morning, then my business will suffer. If I'm not willing to make that phone call, my business will suffer. And if this is all I'm relying on for income, I got to do something. So it was never about waiting for anyone to do anything for me in any sort of way. It's just like, I... I, I want to do this, you know, for me. And plus it was fun. It was just, it was always a challenge. There was, oh, I got to get a business license. How do you do that? And now it's even easier than ever. You can Google anything, you know, and, and things and forms are there. It's the easiest thing in the world now to set up even contracts. You don't even need a lawyer half the time anymore with these contracts. I need a contract for something, for a freelance contract. Boom, you can you can get this. I do want to share a great resource was... Um, was it's called the um, the Graphic Artist Guild puts out a book every year called the Handbook on Pricing, and that book's been out for years. And that was one of my first books too. And it tells you how you should charge for maybe you're doing an album cover, maybe you're doing magazine illustration, maybe you're doing this, and tell you about copyrights, tell you about trademarks. There'd even be sample contracts in the back that you could use and rewrite it. So then I would take those contracts and rewrite what they wrote on for the contracts in the line by line right of what you know how much you should get an hour make sure you get everything in writing you know and all these things so it was always trial and error you know I actually I had to sue a couple of people and I won and I didn't even use a lawyer I just took them to small claims court and uh, was able to get money that was owed to me and it was all trial and error I just it was just uh, see where the wind takes me and I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that and I'm going to read this and learn from there and, and and cross that bridge a lot of times when I got to it I didn't necessarily need to preempt anything it was just like okay all right, I'm facing this situation. What am I going to do? Do I just uh, do I just sit on the sidelines? There was a great quote that just came to my mind, which I had on my 13 years old, had it on my on my closet door. Said, "Life is a party to which you've been invited. Are you going to sit on the sidelines or join in the dance?" And that's what it is, you know. I mean, you choose to sit on the sidelines or join in the dance, and I always chose to join in the dance. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to sit and wait. I'm not going to let someone push me over, bully me over, take advantage of me because I'm an artist. And that's where I became extremely passionate about artist rights and the value of artists and 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 getting paid what you're worth and, and trying to educate artists all the time. And that's what I do through my online academy is trying to educate these guys, making sure you get everything in writing, make sure that you're getting just a, an advance on your money, make sure that there's... A kill fee if there needs to be a kill fee in there for an illustration just make sure you're getting what you're worth how to negotiate make sure don't make the mistake like I made in the past and and do this where I'd go in and let's just say something's a hundred dollars you know again and you instead of just someone asks you a budget 
you don't and you want a hundred like a hundred dollars sounds good to you for that and you go oh a hundred dollars no every single time they're gonna try to whittle that down and go we can't do a hundred but we could do 75 so now you're going below your threshold as opposed to always going higher I'm gonna ask for 150 knowing that maybe they're gonna try to negotiate down and eventually it may get to 100, but now it's gonna be where in balls in my court. That's exactly what I wanted and that's where I feel comfortable getting paid for what I'm about to do. But there's so many things contract-wise where artists get screwed and that's what I'm trying to help people with all the time because um, I think that's just as important as the drawing. Awesome. You have quite a few videos on YouTube. You've talked about so much of what we've covered and I love that you put yourself out there I love that you share your ideas and, and inspire others. You've talked about this idea that we're all born with a book of life, and it's up to us to kind of fill that. How do you like your book so far? And what are you looking forward to? Are there chapters that you feel are missing that you need to add to that? Yeah, no, I, I love my book that's been created up to this point. And I, and I do, and I love that you said that with the chapters, because that's how I, I like to think about it, like just the, the decades, like, you know, chapter one, could be the first 10 years of your life. Chapter two or the next 10 years. Now I'm 20. Chapter three is now I'm 30. How have your chapters been going? What what chapter are you on in your life uh, where you're at? And I think everything that I've done it to this point, I'm just so grateful and, and, and I and enjoy my life and I enjoy everything that I do. I think the only thing that I look forward to now in anticipation is where my kids go. You know, my, my daughter's 17, she's finishing high school this year, is looking to go to a college. So and in anticipation of what's going to be the result of that, my son is 19 and he's a United States Marine. He decided just to follow his purpose and his passion. And I'm always concerned about him right now as we speak. He's in mountain warfare training. He's in the infantry as a machine gunner and is out in the Sierras in the freezing cold and the snow, four inches of snow every hour. And I know he's going through hell out there. So I have concerns, you know, about that and mm -hmm. seeing where his life's going to go. And, and that, that's what my life's kind of about now. I think for myself, I'm just really, I'm just going, I, I really truly live day to day. You know, I, I set my goals. I know that I love teaching. I know that I want to impact people's lives. I know that I know what my purpose is. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I don't feel like I need to prove anything to anyone or do anything. I'm just going to be me and do what I do. And if you want to follow along and join me along the journey, let's go. Uh, and, and that's it. And I think that's all I'm focusing on right now is just building up my school, just making it better every single day, creating new lessons for it and just watching where uh, this life goes and spending it with my family, with my wife and growing old together and, um, just embrace it, embrace it, and just because I, I trip out on things like this all the. I think about this. I think about this stuff all the time. You know, I really do. I think about the fact that, man, we are sitting on the third rock from the sun, spinning at a thousand miles an hour on an axis. You know, and just like it's just crazy to me that wow. And then and the the biggest scheme of things, and now that's what I look into all the time. Um, where I'm just like, God, man, there's so. 
so much to be thankful for and grateful for. And there may be those things that come and go in our lives and things we don't like and things we're not happy with. But again, look at the scheme of things. Look at where we really are. Look at what's going on. And, and that sun keeps rising every morning and it sets every night. And I look at nature and I look at the insects and I go, God, these in, they got it figured out. You know, they know what they need to do. You know, and every day they're, they're on their mission every day. Every day is a new day for this insect of trying to find his food, trying to find his shelter, trying to do what he has to do, trying to survive, make sure he doesn't get eaten, you know, by, by something else, uh, most likely, or, or killed by some uh, terminator, exterminator, you know. Um, and I think that, that that's what it is to me. I just look at, man, how beautiful life is every day, regardless of, again, the pandemic and everything. There's You can look at it like, this is the worst thing since ever and everything is going horribly wrong and you can keep putting these thoughts in your mind. But I also feel that if you keep putting all these thoughts in your mind of fear and how bad everything is and how wrong everything is, your life's just going to keep manifesting that and keep being full of that and you're never going to get out of that place. But if you decide today's a beautiful day, whether it's raining, whether it's snowing, whether it's sunny, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to do like, sit. I'm going to take time for myself to do nothing. Just sit there and do nothing and just let my mind just wander and think or just sit and binge watch a TV show if you want to. I wouldn't suggest it all the time, but these are the things that I, I, I look forward to is like, I, I do. I look forward to, to tomorrow and the, the, a year from now. You know, I don't. I don't try to imagine what it could be, but I'm excited about. Yeah, what could happen, man? When I, I think back about my young 18 year old self when I was 18 years old, and now I'm almost 50 and I'm 49, and I'm just like, gosh, everything that I sort of dreamed about or thought that I wanted to do, I, I tried it. I I have no regrets in this life, and I'm gonna go to my deathbed with that same philosophy that I will never have regrets. And I think that's a very important thing just to try to say for yourself. If you feel like you're regretting things, see if there's something you can do now to change it. You know, act today, start today. Why, why wait? The past is the past. It doesn't matter anymore. Just what can you change now about yourself? And it's the importance of writing things down. I think that's very important. Put things on paper, write down your thoughts in your head. What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? Every Every month, I meet with my students on um, uh, Zoom once a week just to keep everyone, you know, engaged and going. And so I meet six times a month because I do these extra two things. And one of them I just did today before I met with you, and it's called Artists Anonymous. And so I meet with my students over Zoom, and this is all just about the mindset. So what I had them write down today was, and then we share them all together, but put together a plan for what you will do to improve yourself you know, what you want to do that you feel you need to do to improve. And that could be watching videos, connecting with people, studying something, reading something, calling someone, visiting someone, something, you know, what are things that you're willing to do to improve? And I think it's these things that everyone needs to do is put this stuff down on paper. Don't let it spin in your mind and then write it down and one by one, start knocking it off. And that goes into my quote that I love to say is piece by piece will bring you peace. If you just do something piece by piece, don't try to eat everything at once. Don't try to do it all at once. You can't. There's no such thing as multitasking. Just don't do it. Just piece by piece will eventually, okay, let me check, check, check. Just set that sort of schedule up for yourself. And then, then you can enjoy the days, you know. They don't have to be 
drudgery. They don't have to be bad. They don't have to be riddled with anxiety. They, they just don't. And again, we, we get to decide, and I think community, get out there, meet people, interact with people, um, help people. Where can you help someone? You know, it's like when you do these podcasts, you know you're doing these things. There's a fulfillment, there's a enjoyment that you know you're helping people. No man, it's not just about you. You know you're out there helping someone and guiding them. And I think when individuals take, even though they don't have a podcast or YouTube or anything else, I don't know. There's there's other things you can do to help or serve people. And when you do that, you start to feel better. If you especially if you're feeling not good about yourself and you feel like everything's going horribly wrong and bad. I guarantee you the best thing an individual can do is go help someone else and they'll realize but there's a greater purpose. That's absolutely right. Uh, no doubt about that. And even, I'll just chime in, I, I went in and taught my daughter's uh, class when she was, I guess, uh, eight or nine. I taught the kids how to draw. And if you want to go in and be a hero, <laughs> that's that's the best age group to do it. So go volunteer at your yeah. school, oh, yeah. do what it takes. Uh they will love you no matter what you do. So you were talking about your group and uh, the homework they were given. So as part of this podcast, I always ask my guests to um, issue a little bit of homework. So we have a takeaway from this episode. So Stephen, I'm wondering what you feel the homework should be for this week. Oh, well, um, there was the drawing homework that I would say, the drawing assignment homework. But the homework that I want you to do for philosophy-wise, for your for yourself, for for your own good, is just write down on a sheet of paper the things that you want in your life. Then just shoot for the stars, you know. Just sh- just go big, whatever it may be. Write it down on paper. Put it down on under the things that you feel you need to do also to improve upon yourself. What are those little steps that you can take to really improve? And put it down on paper and stare at it and look at it and start taking action on it. Don't let it spin in your head anymore. Don't push it to the side. So that's what I would say on that uh, philosophical level. For drawing, any of you guys are up for a challenge to draw, I would say do a memory sketch this week. And what is a memory sketch? A memory sketch is where I want you to be outdoors somewhere and I want you to observe someone. You may be at a restaurant, you may be on a walk, you may be wherever, post office. I want you to observe someone. And then I want you, when you go home, don't draw it just then, when you go home, I want you to try to recall what you saw and remember about that person and draw that person from memory um, because it's great. Say so there's something really powerful about not having to always use reference, right? There's those factors that I think like we, we, we use reference. I think it's important to draw from reference. I think it's important to draw from observation, from, from uh, looking at things. And then I think it's important just to draw from your imagination. So you're drawing from those three different factors, but try drawing from your imagination with this one and see what ends up turning out. I like that. I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> do it, do it. Of course, mine may turn out like a bird or a turtle, but <laughs> I'll give it a shot. So, um, so Stephen, where can people find you online? Yeah, I think the best places. Um, so Stephen Silver Seven is my handle for Instagram, and then uh, SilverDrawingAcademy.com is my school, and then SilverTunes.com is my uh, website. And um, my other social links are there, just like Stephen Silver on Facebook. Uh, you can find me find me there. But basically, I'm. Um, 
I'm, I'm in the Facebook world and the Instagram uh, world and then my schools. Yeah, and I would recommend just exploring those sites thoroughly because there is so much more material than you think, which I found out. Oh, and I, I did just want to mention the YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, what I do, um, which were called Art Talks, and there's over like 300 videos on there of just me just talking, usually anywhere from about five minutes to 20 minutes, just about something industry-related, art-related, mindset-related, um, and you can find that on my YouTube channel. Fantastic. And you've got this course coming up, so that's from the 12th to the 14th of November. Yes, of November is my two-day workshop coming up for mindset, caricature, and character design, where I'll just be shared, where there'll be lots of drawing exercises um, that will be going through. That's the idea, giving people the tools, once again, once they leave the workshop, not to, I never want people to walk out of my workshop and go, okay, that was great, that was fun, but how do I apply it in everyday life now? I teach and create the curriculum so all the theories and philosophies I'm sharing you can take and now apply to your own work you don't just have to be a character designer if you maybe you're a comic book artist an illustrator children's book illustrator it, it really doesn't matter it's really for everyone and anyone who just wants to improve their observation and design skills that's awesome and you will you have more courses coming up as well more workshops yeah I will I will okay. there'll be other workshops coming up yeah well, thank you, Stephen. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate, appreciate you responding to me <laughs> for this request. And I wanted to, to just thank you for opening up your book of life and sharing what's in it so far with us and this opportunity to learn the skill and the craft, but also to learn the mindset, which I think extends beyond character design and caricature. And uh, you've been wonderful to speak to. I've learned so much. I feel like I'm going to just end this and go draw something. <laughs> and I'm hopeful that nice. the listener will feel the same. So thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Okay, have a good day. Thank you. Show notes, including links to everything Stephen and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 65. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will serve as the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep trying. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.